That's right, folks. It is time for another episode of Model Railroad Talk. Um, I am your host, The Bandit, but today we got a very special episode for you. On our 25th episode, we have Eric back with us, and he is our guest host. So stick around, and we will get this show on the tracks. Yes, folks, as we have stated, this is our 25th episode and we are excited about that. Um, you know, yeah, you look at some of these other podcasts and, you know, they've got, you know, I don't know, you know, way more, let's just say, uh, episodes than we do, but Hey, we just started, a you know, about six months back and, uh, well, not even about four months back, I guess rather. And, uh, you know, it's been definitely an interesting journey and, um, exciting journey. So yeah, as we stated, this is our 25th episode. And I thought, you know what, let's do something a little different. Um, for you guys, I want to keep things always fresh and new and, and, you know, just something different as much as I can. So I thought, you know what, why don't we have a guest host? and let a guest host take over the episode. So today we have Eric back with us. If you remember right, he was on episode 17, I believe it was, uh, roughly. Um, we interviewed him, brought him in. And so I reached out to him and he said, sure, I'll do it, you know. And so basically I just told him, you can talk about whatever you want as long as it's about model railroading. So um, he gets into talking about garden railways, completing projects, building from drawings, and uh, lots more. So um, stick around. We are going to get this started right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Model Railroad Talk. My name is Eric, and if you don't know me, I'm a locomotive engineer by profession, an avid model railroader, and just a lifelong rail enthusiast. I also host the War Bonds channel on YouTube. And as I'm uh, in the process of uh, building a one inch scale GP60M locomotive. However, I've taken a break from my own video podcast to come and join the bandit here uh, at Model Railroad Talk as a guest host. So uh, we're gonna try a little something new today. So hopefully, uh, You'll enjoy the content that we've got presented for you today, and uh, we're going to get started here. So uh, two of the things that Bandit had, uh, uh, well, at least Bandit had suggested that I try to come up with two things that are on my list or on my radar of things that I've done or interests that I have. So uh, I decided to go a little bit different today and I wanted to talk about uh, kit bashing slash scratch building and uh, being published in magazines. Now you're probably thinking like oh my gosh where's this guy coming from like oh there, there's no way that I could ever do something like that and so 
the reason why I wanted to bring these two subjects up is because, you know, I wasn't born with a silver spoon and experience of model railroading when uh, I first came along. So I just want to kind of give some encouragement, just kind of give a little bit of a story about my journey, just to let you know that no matter who you are, all it takes is practice, perseverance, and just the interest in the hobby to say that I want to do this or I'm going to at least give it a try. So the first thing that I want to start talking about is kit bashing and scratch building. So as I said, I'm going to give you my story as to how things got started with me. And hopefully by the time we're done, this will give you some encouragement. So in video or excuse me, in podcast number 18 uh, was when I did a guest spot on the show. And I mentioned that I got started in model railroading back in 1977 when my mom and dad got me a Santa Fe uh, Bachman train set for Christmas. And it was two Santa Fe F7 locomotives, I think three cars and a caboose. And that was just such a wonderful time for me just to have my first train set. And even though I don't particularly remember all the details of that, but it was still a lot of fun to play with that train set. And it seemed like every year for several years, I was getting a new train set. And that was my extent of model railroading uh, during that time, but it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it and just wouldn't trade those memories for anything. So I think my story is very similar to the way, to the way a lot of people start out, that you get a train set for Christmas and, uh, or somebody sets up a train set around the Christmas tree, but generally the, the game is the same, just the players and the venue is different. However, let's fast forward to about the mid eighties and I was about 13 years old at the time. And I met a friend of mine who, uh, is still a friend of mine almost 40 years later uh, named Bill Nelson. And he was very instrumental in my model railroading journey because uh, I was able to look up to him and ask him all sorts of questions. I mean, he was just one of the best mentors that I could ever have in this hobby. And this was a guy that was major league heavy duty i mean we're talking he was a young guy that was able to put a lot of his money into his hobby which you know unfortunately most of us can't do these days but um he had brass locomotives which you know was like having gold at the time and he had the talents to do so many things and i truly looked up to the things that he did so where he really made the first step to help me out is he had gone to a model train show in Peoria, Illinois, and I grew up in Galesburg, Illinois, and which is where we lived. He had gone to a train show and he told me that he would look to see if he could pick up um, a new Atherin locomotive for me because I had actually become a recent member of the Galesburg Model Railroad uh, Train Club. So instead of being able to Know, run everybody else's stuff, I would have my own equipment to run. So he picked up 
a Santa Fe GP38-2. Now, this is when Atherin had just come out with the GP38-2s and the GP50s. And he bought this engine for me, and it was great. Uh, it was uh, just, you know, a, an Atherin blue box, since that was what we had back at the time. But by the time I saw this locomotive, I was really surprised and shocked uh, as to what I saw when I came to the club. And there's this locomotive sitting on the layout. Well, he had done a few little added touches to make it a little bit better than just being out of the box. So he took the old horn hook couplers off, uh, put Katie couplers on it. And being that it was a Santa Fe locomotive, he spray painted the trucks silver and put sanding lines on it. Also put a few little paint details on the cab, painted the handrails, and me, this thing was just tricked out. I'll also put a snowplow on it. And I thought this was just the greatest thing. This was just like having gold to me. And at that point, that's when the bug had me. I, I was like, wow, this is great. And I wanted everything else that I had to look this good. So one of the things that happened afterwards was uh, several months down the line, um, I think it was my birthday and my mom had uh, purchased a gift certificate for a hobby shop in Galesburg called Depot Hobby Shop. So I decided to go into the hobby shop and I wanted to buy a Santa Fe GP50. Because now I want something to go with this GP38. I want to have a nice pair of Santa Fe locomotives. So I saw all the things that Bill had done on this GP38, and I wanted to replicate it. So keep in mind, this is young teenage Eric. So probably about 14 years old at this point. And I tried to do all the things that I saw Bill do. And uh, to a certain extent, I didn't do too bad, but I was trying to paint the tops of the battery boxes blue since the Atherin model was just the, the battery boxes or the uh, uh, parts on the front of the locomotive that the cab sits on top and they uh, protrude out onto the side of the nose. Those are the battery boxes. And uh, they were painted yellow uh, for the factory paint and I wanted to paint them blue. Well, I didn't know how to use an airbrush at the time, didn't even own one. And even if I did, had no real experience, but I just took some uh, Floquel blue, Santa Fe blue paint, and I thought I'll just go and just do a little painting on the top. Well, I did a little painting, I didn't like it. So I found that if I took rubbing alcohol, that would take the paint off. Well, you can imagine the cycle that ended up happening, if you know where this is going. Eventually, paint started coming off of it, and then I tried to do other things, trying to, you know, uh, correct my mistakes on this. And by the time it was all said and done, uh, the rubbing alcohol that I used started to eat the plastic on this GP50 body shell. I was mortified that, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did this. So I had to go to Bill and with my tail between my legs and say, hey, I messed up on this, can you help me out? And it's like, oh yeah, you messed this up pretty good. And uh, he and another friend of mine, Dave McCulloch, uh, who were, well, they were both mentors of mine, but they 
saw what I had done to this GP50 and just busted out laughing that they, they just thought this was funny. Here I'm mortified and they're laughing at me. But all these years later, I still get reminded of the fact that I messed up not one, not two, but three GP50 body shells. And I probably even messed up something else. So the whole point of this somewhat drawn out story is that I made my mistakes. And yes, my friends laughed at me, but you know what? I got through it. And by making those mistakes, it allowed me the opportunity to learn from those mistakes and realize, okay, this isn't what you do. And the next time I'm going to paint something, uh, remember, first of all, to take some masking tape and tape it off so that you don't end up getting paint on other areas that you don't want the paint to go onto. And uh, also don't use the wrong chemicals because uh, even though things like rubbing alcohol and uh, even nail polish remover, depending on what you're going to use those things for, maybe just, uh, I probably wouldn't suggest the nail polish remover even though I had used it. And that was probably some of the stuff that um, caused me to mess up some of these body shells. But I realized that, yes, there are chemicals that will eat plastic. And that's come out in publications over time that, yes, don't use this or don't use that if you don't want your plastic eaten. Also, different manufacturers use different kind of uh, plastics in their molds. So sometimes what you may use, let's say you're trying to strip a body shell, let's say, and you take an atherin shell and you put it in alcohol. Okay, the paint comes off. But let's say you take a Bachman shell and you tried to do the same thing. Of course, at the time, uh, brake fluid was actually the big thing that a lot of modelers were using for stripping paint off of models. And um, while brake fluid worked great on Atherin locomotives, it didn't work very well on Bachman. And I think I uh, had a Bachman shell get eaten by brake fluid. But uh, I think nowadays, as we're talking, I'm talking old school because nowadays all the locomotives you can buy, they're way more expensive, but that's because they also have all the details that previously guys like me were having to go out and buy from like Details West or Details Associates. And I'm not even sure if these companies are still around since a lot of these models come uh, already pre-made where you just put them on the tracks and run them and of course after putting dcc in them if you choose to do so but uh but those were just some of the things that i went through at that time but as i got older and i got more experienced and i put a lot of emphasis on the fact that i made mistakes and i i messed up on things that i learned from then that's what gave me the experience and after you mess up so many times and you keep trying and trying, eventually you're going to get it right. And that's what started to happen with me. So that was in the, the late 80s. But now let's maybe fast forward into the 90s. So I had actually built some models uh, that came out pretty good. I ended up painting a few models and they came out pretty good. Um, some things I probably overweathered, and I know that Bandit had talked about weathering in uh, one of the previous uh, podcasts. I made my mistake on weathering, and you know that is something that can be a little difficult at, at times. So 
um, all these things that seem intimidating, it just takes practice. And preferably if you're going to try to paint something, you know, take an old shell or, you know, uh, uh, or just a scrap shell or something. And, uh, you know, let's say you buy an airbrush and you're trying to paint something. Well, just get that airbrush out and, and paint that scrap shell and just see where things, uh, come out with. And if you make a mistake and you dunk it and you know, whatever solvent you need to, uh, take the paint off and try again, you know, that's what it's there for. So, um, when, uh, I, I did HO scale for a number of years and then we come into the early two thousands and I happened to find a copy of garden railways magazine, which I actually found out today that, uh, as of 2020 garden railways magazine is uh, no longer, uh, in publication, uh, which is kind of a sad thing, but we'll get to talking about magazines here in a little bit. But uh, I was uh, in uh, back in Peoria, Illinois, and I was at a hobby shop there. And I happened to see an Aristocraft SD45. And I thought, wow, that is amazing. And I had seen some articles and some ads that Aristocraft was coming out with this model. And uh, I thought, wow, this is so cool. I, I'd love to buy you know, this piece of G-Scale just to have it. Well, I bought it and I got it home and I started thinking to myself, because my mind's always wandering, could I take that SD45 and G-Scale, can I do the same things with it that I've done with HO-Scale? Well, I've, I've learned a lot of things and I've gained a lot of skills. Well, surely this thing is big enough that I can't really mess this up too bad. So that's what I ended up doing, I, I bought this and it was actually painted as Union Pacific, but I uh, decided I wanted a Santa Fe SD45. And I started working on this thing, you know, I, I, uh, I think actually at that time I was using 91% isopropyl alcohol for stripping paint. So thankfully the, uh, the model took it well, but of course when you're playing around with G scale as opposed to HO scale, you need a much bigger container when it comes to stripping paint off of something that I found out real quick. But, um, and it takes several bottles of alcohol in order to get the model submerged. But I got this thing submerged and I just went to town. Now, unfortunately with G scale, uh, especially at that time, there was only one uh, company that uh, made any kind of detail parts. And it was a company called JM Enterprises that was out of California. Now I found out about this company because at that time, the internet started to become more prevalent as far as uh, model railroad groups and uh, social media and things like that. So there was a website called mylargescale.com. And I got on there and registered, became a member of the forums, and I would go through and I would look. And to my surprise, I was actually seeing other people uh, around the country and even around the world that were showing their pictures of the projects they were doing. And wow, this, this seemed really awesome. So having the experience that I had and 
the trial and error that I wasn't afraid to delve into, uh, I started actually making a few little parts here and there, but I found out about JM Enterprises and I started buying some detail parts from him. So I think um, I bought like a, a Santa Fe snow plow. I bought a, a rooftop air conditioner. Um, I bought what they call a Sinclair antenna, which kind of looks like an ice skate. And um, yeah, just a, a few little de few details, detail parts here and there. And uh, I thought, wow, I, I can really make this work. So I even went and started uh, taking my Dremel tool and grinding uh, things away on the truck side frames so I could make this more of a rep representation of a Santa Fe SD45. And by the time it was all said and done, I was scared because at this point, this, is, this was a very expensive model and I'm sitting here cutting and hacking away at it, but I was successful. And I was excited. I got on the forum and I started talking about some of the things that I had done to this model. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, people started you know, talking to me about what I was doing. And by the time it was all said and done, uh, this model had actually become a, a noteworthy piece on the forums and to uh, a number of people. And uh, it was, eventually it was uh, noticed by some magazines. Uh, however, that's going to be the second part of what we talk about. But, um, but I want to then skip ahead a little bit. So later on, um, after I've you know, successfully completed something, because that's, that's really a mark that, okay, maybe I really do know something. Maybe I have the confi confidence to actually accomplish something. Um, then uh, I figured, okay, if I can do this, you know, there's a lot of things I could do. But uh, in the meantime, between the time that I finished that Santa Fe uh, SD45 kit bash project, um, let's uh, go to about 2006. So this was probably maybe about 2002 or so when I finished this SD45 kit bash. And let's go to about 2006. And I happened to be out with a friend of mine, uh, and we, we left Nebraska, went into Iowa, because the BNSF was about to take delivery of the very first two SD-70 ACEs on their roster. So I, we wanted to go out and see these. We wanted to photograph them. And so we had to travel quite a ways into Iowa, but right at... Uh, dusk, we found this train, and this train actually was coming into Creston, Iowa, and it stopped, and oh, wow, here are these bright, shiny, brand new locomotives, and man, between the two of us, uh, we were probably shooting probably a couple thousand frames uh, or more of uh, pictures of these locomotives, and after I saw that, I thought, I've got to build one of these. I, I know enough that I, I could build one of these. Well, the funny thing about uh, my scratch building skills uh, just prior to that is I had found some drawings in Model Railroader. And back when uh, General Electric first came out with the ES44 uh, GE locomotives and then uh, EMD at the time had come out with the SD70 ACEs, 
uh, Model Railroader had run an article about these two locomotives, and because they were uh, new locomotives that uh, met the requirements for the tier four emissions. So they were the most um, you know, fuel efficient locomotives at the time, and they uh, didn't put out as much exhaust, and uh, they were real good for the environment. So Model Railroader did an article, and they had drawings. So I took the drawings uh, out of this magazine, and I decided to keep them. Like, this has got to be something I could use later. So sure enough, I was able to take these drawings, and uh, I was able to go to a copy shop, and I blew these drawings up. And I wasn't exactly sure uh, how big I needed them at the time, but what I did was I took a USA Trains um, SD70 Mac uh, frame, and I actually took that to the copy shop with me, and I had to keep doing trial and error until I matched the width of this frame uh, with the drawings I had. And I figured that's my approximation. Okay, this should work out really well. And it did. Well, but uh, prior to me wanting to uh, uh, getting to this point of trying to scratch build this SD70 ACE, I tried to do an ES44. So I had the draw the, the parts out on the styrene and after I drew them out, I was taking a Dremel cutting wheel and then trying to cut around my pencil lines of this thing. Needless to say, this was going to take like a half an hour just to make one part of this locomotive. So it didn't take long that uh, a guy that I became really good friends with by the name of Marty Kozad uh, from, uh, from Eastern Nebraska, he actually had a G-scale railroad. And that was one of the big reasons that I switched from HO scale to G-scale. But uh, he was also a carpenter. And he saw some of the things that I was doing. And he said, you know what? I'm going to help you out. I'm going to get you a bandsaw. So he actually got me a bandsaw. And he told me how to use it. And showed me how to take my material and just place the material on the drawings and then just make some pencil marks and then set my bandsaw uh, guide up so that I could cut the parts out to the right measurement that I needed based on the drawings. Well, by the time it was all said and done, I was able to make my parts in like 30 seconds, if even that, as opposed to 30 minutes and doing it in such a way that they weren't even accurate. But Anyway, by the time it was all said and done, I got the confidence with the bandsaw, and that bandsaw became my best friend when it came to building uh, parts. So uh, once I learned how to use it, that was that was the turning point. I was able to start making parts, and I mean, it might take me a few hours, but that few hours was used in making whole sections of locomotive and building cab parts and, you know, nose parts and whatever I needed. And uh, just gave me, you know, the greatest bit of confidence. But uh, right before I was done with this model, I, I kind of stopped on it for a little bit. And then uh, a friend of mine in Kansas City uh, said to me one time when I had sent him some pictures uh, through email, and he said, hey, uh, would you be interested in maybe selling that engine? And I said, well, you know, I'm building it just because I want to build. 
but I don't have any real, uh, uh, you know, attachment to it. And he proposed a scenario to me where uh, CIT Equipment Financial, which uh, is a company, a leasing company that owns a lot of locomotives and owns a lot of freight cars. And sometimes you'll see their reporting marks, CITX or CEFX uh, on a lot of cars. Well, they had just recently moved their corporate offices to Chicago. And so this friend of mine had said, hey, you know, um, if you finish that up and we paint it up as a uh, as a CITX engine, you know, they're willing to pay some big money for it. Oh, wow. OK, so I really got into it. And this was the first time that now the work that I had started uh, was actually putting me into a position where I was actually selling my work. Now, not to say that I've done a lot, but by the time it was all said and done, uh, it was a it was a pretty good payday for that model. And it was just one of the coolest things because, like, I'm just a guy who's just doing a hobby. And to be able to say that somebody liked my work and they wanted it and they they paid me for it. Wow, this was great. So this was just uh, this, you know, story about my kit bashing and everything is just uh to give you the encouragement that to say that no, these the people that do all this stuff, you know, we're not magicians. We're not these, you know, great people that uh, just come out and, and they just pull these ideas out of thin air. No, we're people that have tried and failed, tried and failed and failed and failed and failed some more until we finally get it right. So this was actually what happened with me. So I bring this up to say that, you know, there is always a possibility that you can do this and it's, it's not a, and it is not for everybody, but if you're even remotely interested in doing something, just try a little something, you know, and even if you fail at it, but you learn from your mistakes. And the biggest key is that you've got to have the right tools to do it, as I found out, but you have the right tools. It makes the job so much easier and you find such great satisfaction out of doing this. But at this point, uh, let's take a little break right now and uh, we'll come back and we'll also talk about how I was able to uh, find some satisfaction in being published. We'll be right back. Join the Model Railroad Revolution. Go on over to patreon.com forward slash model railroad talk and become a premium supporter. By becoming a premium supporter, you get added benefits such as an exclusive private Facebook group, live videos while we record, access to the latest episode before anyone else, and more. Your support helps us continue to grow and support the Model Railroad Revolution. Go on over to patreon.com. That's P A T R E O N.com forward slash model railroad talk to become a premium member today. Join the Model Railroad Revolution. Go on over to patreon.com forward slash model railroad talk and become a premium supporter. 
By becoming a premium supporter, you get added benefits such as an exclusive private Facebook group, live videos while we record, access to the latest episode before anyone else, and more. Your support helps us continue to grow and support the model railroad revolution. Go on over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash model railroad talk to become a premium member today. Okay, welcome back. So we just got done talking about kit bashing and scratch building and you know how there's really no major magic to doing that but it is all trial and error and the funny thing is that when i started doing a lot of this stuff as i said earlier i was in my teen years and now i'm almost 50 years old and i'm actually working on a one inch scale uh santa fe gp60m so it's funny because sometimes I still feel like I'm a young guy when it comes to my ambition to build, but my body and everything else is telling me that, no, I guess I'm not a teenager anymore. But that just shows that it's taken me a number of years to achieve the skills. And uh, But it's been a fun journey. But as we talk about that, that I've been able to kit bash and scratch build things. Well, I mentioned in the last segment about the website called mylargescale.com. Now, honestly, I don't know if it still exists anymore because I have not been on this uh, uh, forum in years, but what I wanted to uh, mention about it and the point that I wanted to make about it is that there are still a lot of forums out there. And these forums, you can go in and you can ask people questions and get ideas. You can also network with people. And networking is the key thing that I wanted to talk about here. So, um, but talking about being published, I, I want to go back to my teen years again. So there's a magazine that I'm sure you've all heard of called Rail Fan and Railroad Magazine. And back when I was a teenager, I remember buying uh, an issue. I don't even remember everything that was in that issue, but it was a an issue that had... Uh, an article that I distinctively distinctively remember, uh, where Jim Boyd, who was the editor of the magazine at the time, said, hey, have you ever thought about sending an article in to be considered for publication in the magazine? Oh, really? You know, I'm listening, or excuse me, reading this article, you know, very intently, because as probably most of you probably think, well, Oh, yeah, there's no way I could do that. Just probably like a lot of you think, oh, there's no way I could kit bash or I could scratch build. But I read this article and I took it seriously. And I actually got the number uh, of the magazine and I actually called Jim Boyd and I told him who I was. And I told him, you know, hey, I read your article about, um, you know, reaching out to you about possibly doing some publication, you know, having something published. So we had a, had a nice little talk. And by the time it was all said and done, uh, a friend of mine, um, fortunately, who I've lost touch with over these years, but a uh, fellow named Matt Cavanaugh, we lived in uh, about 14 miles apart in a uh, uh, couple, couple different uh, towns that we we each lived in. But um he and I got together. He could 
he could drive and I think I could drive, but I just didn't have a car and he had a car. So we went rail fanning. And so we went to this place called Cameron, Illinois. And for any of you that know anything about Illinois and Galesburg, Illinois, in that area, this is a place where the old Santa Fe actually went up and over the BN, the old Burlington Northern main line that goes uh, to Denver out of Chicago. So um, what we thought, well, hey, if we go there, we can see trains from both railroads. So I had my old Pentax K1035 millimeter camera that I was still shooting slides with because this is this is way before digital even came about. And uh, we spent a whole day out there shooting trains and maybe switching positions to uh, get a different angle you know, for the next train that would show up. So we were having a pretty good time hanging out as two teenage boys that like trains. So I got everything shot and it was the end of the day. We, uh, we went home. I had my slide film developed and I was happy with what I had. I uh, put everything together and I sent it off to Rail Fan and Railroad Magazine in care of Jim Boyd. Well, then some time went by you know, a week went by, two weeks went by, maybe a month went by, maybe even a couple months went by, and I still never heard anything out of this guy. So eventually, I ended up calling him up, and I got a hold of him, and I said, hey, uh, I was just wondering if you got my uh, my package uh, of slides and my article that I sent. And since I wasn't a great writer at the time, it was just a pictorial uh, type of article, which was essentially taking the reader on this rail fan journey with us. And I was documenting the time and, and where we were at when I would shoot every picture. Well, his response to me, like, yeah, I got it. And, uh, well, what did you think? Well, your photography is kind of weak. Whoa, wait a minute now. That wasn't what I was expecting to hear because, honestly, uh, we talked and I sent this stuff to him and I thought, wow, I'm, I'm going to be a rail fan and railroad only to hear like, you know, your photography's weak. Boy, that took the say the wind out of my sail, burst my balloon, however you want to term it. Well, I was pretty mad at this guy for a while and you know, I thought, well, you know what? You go pound sand as far as I'm concerned. And I just like lost respect. Well, how dare you put this article out that you want people to submit things and then you insult me telling me my photography is weak. Well, it took probably a couple years, maybe a little bit more uh, for me to also swallow my pride and to go back and look at those slides and to actually say, well, yeah, compared to what some of the other contributors are giving, yeah, this stuff was probably kind of weak, but you know what? I was young. Now, when I look at the things that I've shot, you know, in the you know last, you know, probably 20, 25 years, you know, I've, I've improved quite a bit more. And while I'm not a major professional at it, like some of my friends are or other uh, acquaintances that I know, I have improved. So one of the things that I found out real fast is that you have to be able to take criticism. Now, unfortunately, not everybody is going to be like, well, 
you know, they're there, you know, well, you know, you, you tried, but, you know, maybe you need a little more practice. Yeah, that could have maybe given me more respect for this guy to say, okay, yeah, just you, you need a little more practice, but keep trying. That would have given me the encouragement. But did I stop taking pictures? No, absolutely not. So we fast forward to about the mid-90s, and this is after the BNSF merger had taken place. And I was actually in my car, and my mom and dad lived next door to the old BN Yards, Burlington Northern Yards in Galesburg, and which is why I became a rail fan, because I saw trains every day when I woke up. And um, I was actually going to a girlfriend's house at the time, and I was going over this bridge, and I just happened to look down, and I see this Santa Fe GP60M, but instead of the Santa Fe lettering on the side, it had big red BNSF letters on it. Wow, look at that. So I quickly got to the bottom of the bridge, made a U-turn, went home. I got my camera and uh, I went into the yard and I shot some pictures of this locomotive. Now, one of the things that I had done because I, I was very outgoing and very extroverted back in my earlier years. And especially when I was uh, a teenager in high school and I wanted to network with people. So it wasn't anything for me to see the name of an editor or the name of somebody who you know, had a lot of pictures and want to reach out to them. So I remember calling Trains Magazine, a gentleman by the name of Mike Daneman, who was the art director at this time, late 80s, early 90s. Um, he actually took my call and I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I thought, wow, this is so cool. How, how cool would that be to work at a magazine? You know, when I get out of school and maybe get out of college, you know, maybe I could do something with this. This would be great to have employment that coincides with my hobby and my interests. So even though I never did uh, become a, a magazine person. Uh, I've been a railroader for almost 30, well, yeah, almost 30 years. And, but um, still I reached out and I made connections. So Mike's brother, Tom Daneman was actually an editor over at another magazine called Pacific Rail News. And I had spoken with him. I got to know him and, uh, you know, made a, an acquaintance relationship with him. So I took this picture. I said, hey, Tom, I've got this picture that I shot of this Santa Fe GP60M that's been relettered. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, send me what you got. I sent him the slides that I got after I shot the roll and, and got them developed. And uh, next thing I know, I had my first picture in Pacific Rail News magazine of this GP60M in Galesburg, Illinois, that had been relettered. Oh, wow, I was so happy. Man, that was just so cool to, to see uh, my name in print. And, uh, and actually, as I think about it, too, there was also another picture that I shot that was of a Canadian national, former Canadian national GP40, but it had the Canadian wide cab, wide nose on it, and uh, safety cab, I think is what they officially called it. And uh, I was painted, KCS had bought several of these and it was painted up in KCS. And I saw that and I actually shot a picture of that. That was also published. I thought, wow, this is so cool that my name is actually in this magazine. You know, the, the nation is seeing this. Wow, this is great. And that gave me the confidence that 
yeah, I can do something. Well, uh, that, so that was my first experience in being published. And I was just this, you know, nobody kid, but I just took the initiative to reach out to people and make networks and let people get to know who I am. And uh, this is, you know, where the reward came about. But uh, going back to the mylargescale.com website, I happened to be on there and I was shooting pictures. And I, and I think I had just bought a digital camera around the time I was doing that. So now we're back up to the early 2000s, like 2002, around that time. And I had done some modifications to this Santa Fe SD45 that I was kit bashing and told people like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Well, all of a sudden, a guy from Germany had actually read one of my posts, and he said um, he, he actually sent me uh, an email, I believe, or maybe he, he reached me on the forum, and he said, hey, um, you know, my name is, um, uh, oh my goodness, I can't even think of the guy's name now. Um, maybe it'll come to me here in a little bit, but. Uh, anyway, he said, I'm the editor of a new magazine here in Germany, uh, in Dusseldorf, uh, called uh, Gartenbahn Profi, which was German for uh, Garden Railway Professional. And he said, you know, we, I'd be very interested in the work that you're doing on this Santa Fe SD45. Oh, okay. So I started to reach out to him some more and give him some more uh, pictures and information about what I was doing. And before I knew it, I mean, I didn't, I, I, I like, you know, I, I'm, I'm just a nobody. And all of a sudden I was doing something that this guy was interested in. And I ended up writing a, a two issue uh, article uh, of the work that I did on this SD 45. So my first major publication was a magazine in Germany. And uh, as I was putting some notes together earlier today for this podcast, I actually looked and it looks like that magazine still exists. So um, it was so cool that even though I don't speak German, but I would, I remember showing this to my mother and uh, I'm, I'm showing her like, oh yeah, like, well, I, I'm talking about this here in this part of the article and I'm talking about that. And she goes, since when did you start speaking German? Like, I don't speak German, mom, but uh, I wrote the article. So I know I can pick out some of the key words there to know what I was talking about in there. But it was so cool got to be able to tell people that, yeah, I, I actually wrote internationally. And uh, But, you know, that was just because I put myself out there. I just happened to be on a forum and it was by chance. But if you don't try something uh, or just put yourself out there, you know, to talk with people that either help you in gaining knowledge for something that you want to do, or you reach out and then the right people want to talk to you that, hey, I'm interested in something you've done. Wow. You know, how wonderful is that? And uh, well, then later on, uh, after I had written that article, well, now here comes the United States. And there was actually uh, a fella that I had actually started talking to uh, from, um, a rail, uh, magazine called fine scale railroader. And, uh, I started talking with this editor and he was actually interested in publishing that article in his magazine here in the United States. Uh, however, 
one of the things I realized after a while is that, yes, I want to be published, but I don't really like this guy's attitude. He is kind of arrogant and just, I'm just not feeling this. And as hard as it was, I eventually got to the point that, yeah, even though we had been working together and talking, but I said, you know, I, I'm just, I'm kind of changing my mind on, on doing this article with you. And uh, I, uh, Garden Railways Magazine, you know, at, at that time, uh, I reached out to them and Mark Horowitz, who was the, uh, the actual, actual creator of Garden Railways Magazine, um, he and I started talking. I had a much better relationship with him. He was a much nicer person. And uh, we got to talking and said, hey, you know, I would love to uh, work with you on this. So I actually ended up going the route of Kalmbach Publishing with Mark Horowitz. And uh, we ended up uh, publishing the article. So now I've not only had this article published in Germany, I've had it published in the United States. And you know, it really gave me the confidence, you know, to say that, okay, as much as I want to try doing different things, um, I feel like, hey, the, the magazine, Garden Railways Magazine, likes who I am. Uh, the editor, he likes me, his assistant, you know, she uh, and I had a good relationship. We could talk about things and, hey, what, you know, what would you like for me to do? Or, hey, I've got a new idea for another article. Would you be interested in this? And uh, he never turned me away to talk about something. But now, did my projects always come to fruition? Well, not always, but I at least tried to, to do things, you know, as much as I could. Now, the, uh, the SD70 uh, Ace that I had scratch built, it ended up becoming an SD70M-2. And... They are very identical. The only difference is one was an AC version. The other was a DC version. But I was able to um, actually send him some pictures of that, even write a little bit of an article on that. And I was still able to uh, publish a small article about that as well. So uh, that was just absolutely phenomenal and awesome that I just felt like I was on top of the world, that I have a good enough relationship with this magazine that I can do just about anything that I, I want to do. And um, when, uh, as far as my last article that I did, because uh, I kind of got away from the, the article writing for a while, because I'm also going to tell you the truth that when it comes to writing articles, uh, it takes a lot of work. And you've got to come up with the right text. Uh, you've got to write things out. And then you yourself have to go in and say, okay, am I repetitive here? Um, or should I even add this in there at all? Um, and so when you get to what you think is good and you send it off to the magazine, well, they're going to look at it and they're going to nitpick it too, because they're going to say that, hey, um, well, we only have so much space. So, hey, we need to... Uh, chop a little bit down there. So it becomes a job to, to do it. But by the time it's all said and done, yes, is the work worth it? Yes, it is. So that, uh, the last article that I did uh, was actually probably one of the last few issues that Garden Railways uh, or Kalmbach, uh, one of the last few issues of Garden Railways magazine that Kalmbach uh, put out before they discontinued the magazine. 
But uh, I did a, a 60 foot uh, flat car that I had always wanted to do. And it was uh, a yellow uh, tra trailer train uh, flat car with a wood deck. And I put a combine on top of it. And I was able to modify the combine to look like it had just come out of a John Deere factory and was being you know, shipped to a customer or a dealership. And that was something that I probably wanted to do for you know, 15 plus years. And I happened to find a combine at uh, Hobby Town USA. And uh, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to buy this. It was 132nd scale, even though I model 129th scale, but the difference is so minute that you wouldn't be able to tell that there's a size difference. And uh, I was able to make this happen. And it was, it came out as a great article. Um, they, uh, it was kind of a shorter article than what I had done with the SD45, but nonetheless, it still you know, came out pretty good. And I was happy to you know, be in publication. But in this day and age, you've got the internet and you've got a lot of things you know, going on. And so it's maybe a little bit harder to get in, but it's certainly not impossible because you know trains, model railroader, railroad, model craftsman, uh, Rail fan and railroad, you know, they're all still magazines that exist that have existed for decades and they're still looking for content. So there's always the possibility of, you know, getting something out there. But um, there are things that I'm doing now that, well, the railroads, or, excuse me, the magazines are probably not really looking at too heavily. But the one thing that I, as a modeler and as a rail fan, as a model railroader, as a rail enthusiast, uh, look at is that I like to do what other people haven't done. Now, granted, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. And as Bandit has said in plenty of times and plenty of podcasts, that the key thing is it's your railroad. If you want to have uh, BNSF, the uh, mixed with you know Union Pacific, mixed with NS, even though that in itself is not uh, an uncommon thing to see even on the real railroad. But um, if you wanna, you'll have two different eras of models on your layout. It's your railroad. It's what makes you happy. Uh, when I go back to my, even my pre-teens and I had a four by eight sheet uh, uh, layout. Uh, oh my gosh, I remember just, putting my cars on and I would just, you know, I'd get down at eye level and I'd watch, you know, the train coming at me. And uh, I just thought it was just such, such a cool thing, you know, because I was young. It made me happy. I, my imagination was just running wild with what I saw and it would just make me happy for hours and hours. Um, one of the things that I also still remember is my birthday and probably I was maybe around nine or 10. And like I said, I lived in Galesburg, Illinois. We lived next door to the Burlington, Nor Burlington, excuse me, Burlington Northern Yards. And I used to see these old SW1500 switch engines uh, that would pull uh, cuts of cars into what they called uh, the ready tracks or the receiving and departure tracks. So when everything went over the hump, and was classified and they would start doubling up tracks and pulling them into the ready tracks well then the car the carmen or car department they would go and inspect the cars they would you know get the train ready 
Okay, so um, sorry, as I was talking about something, I'm, uh, I got interrupted. I'm actually at work. So uh, anyway, the story I was talking about was um, we, uh, uh, it was my birthday and uh, my, I remember I had so much homework that night and I just wanted to enjoy my birthday because I knew that my mom and dad had bought me gifts and naturally they bought me train stuff. And uh, so by the time I finally get finished with the homework, which was a little bit later in the evening, uh, I open up one of the boxes and uh, it's an Atherin uh, Burlington Northern SW1500, just like the SW1500s that, uh, or maybe it was a 1200, SW1200, but um, uh, yeah, I believe it was an SW1200. But uh, anyway, I remember seeing that and uh, I'm like, oh, wow, mom and dad. And I remember saying, oh, you didn't have to do this, you know, but it was just kind of a standard response of the fact that I was so excited, like, oh, my gosh, I, this is just like what I see out outside on the real railroad. And uh, oh, my gosh, I was so happy, you know, uh, getting that. And I remembered uh, when I would put that on my layout, I would actually. Uh, I had like a three track yard and I remember I would try to run my railroad just like the real railroad. I would uh, take my switch engine and I had some cars sitting in the yard and then I would double them up and then uh, I would uh, shove them down a uh, kind of a ready track. And uh, then I would park the SW 1200, you know, on a, uh, on another track. And of course this is when, you know, you still had, uh, straight DC. So you actually had to use insulated joints and you had to have block, uh, block separations and everything. So, uh, I would, you know, put it in a track and isolate it. I bring up the road power I would tie on and I would just go around the railroad for hours. And that was just so cool to me. Uh, I could go out and watch real trains and I would come home and I would just kind of imagine that I'm seeing the same thing. And, uh, it was, it was so awesome. And um, even later in later years, I, I was talking about my friend Bill Nelson, who got me into a lot of things. And he um, he and I took a trip to Clinton, Iowa one time. So Clinton, Iowa was a town along the Mississippi River uh, between uh, between Iowa and Illinois. And uh, at the time, uh that was former Chicago and Northwestern that ran through there. So this was probably back around 1988. And I remember this was such a cool deal because uh, I knew what the, the CNW was, but I'd never really seen any of their operation or really didn't know anything about them uh, other than just a picture, you know, in a magazine here and there. So uh, we went up there and, uh, just spent the day watching trains up there in Clinton and, and in and around the area. And, uh, oh my gosh, I thought that was so cool. That, that was just the neatest thing. And then, which side note, it's funny that I didn't realize that I would actually have the opportunity to start my railroad career with Chicago and Northwestern, uh, about five years later. And, uh, I, I hired out of Chicago and I remember when they were, uh, I was the youngest age-wise, and that's how they chose your seniority. But you had different places that you could go. You could either become a uh, an employee of what they call the Wisconsin Division, 
or you could be on the Illinois division, or you could be uh, on the terminal division, which was the big yard proviso uh, in Chicago. And of course, everybody, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get stuck somewhere I don't want to be. And it was like, by the grace of God, that everybody else got their picks and what was left, the Illinois division, which is where I wanted to go. So it was so cool because as a young rail fan, I ended up getting to run to Clinton, Iowa, and actually passed the places that I remember standing watching trains with my friend Bill. And But uh, as we go back to that day in 88, uh, we got done watching trains. We got back to Galesburg. We even stopped by and, and uh, saw some action on the Santa Fe. And both of us, you know, thought, wow, you know what? Let's go to the uh, let's go to the train club and uh, let's run trains, you know. And of course, you know, we're, we're remembering all the things that we saw that day. And we are, you know, actually at our railroad, you know, thinking about what we saw that day. And we are enjoying the aspect of the hobby of, you know, yes, we saw a lot of really cool stuff in the real railroad earlier today. And now we're coming here to uh, to run trains and kind of reminisce about those things we saw. And uh it was just, you know, those are just some of the coolest memories I I have. So I, I think that in telling my story about things that hopefully that a lot of you realize that, yeah, there's a lot of great layouts, you know, in magazines and there's a lot of cool stuff that uh, people can do. But you know what? When it comes down to it, a lot of it is imagination and and it's what you want. And um, I definitely uh have seen a lot of things and have the model railroading bug has hit me in such a way that I've been able to try to replicate the things that I want to see and, and replicate what makes me happy. Now, when I go back and I look at some of those early years of running that four by eight sheet of plywood, I mean, yeah, the detail wasn't the greatest. And even at that time, uh, when, a real model would come out or a real locomotive or a real car would come out onto the railroad. At that time, you'd be lucky if you saw that come out in model form uh, within 10 years. And nowadays it's almost like as soon as a real locomotive or freight car hits the railroad, there's a model manufacturer that's coming out with that same model. So times have definitely changed, but I definitely feel like I come from the old school where I've been able to, um, experience the joy of modeling in a in an era where you didn't have as many detailed models coming out and certainly things were a lot cheaper back then too um and uh speaking of, of the price of like an atherin blue box sd40-2 i remember going into the local hobby shop and sometimes i'd be able to uh see uh, an sd40-2 that was powered and the price was twenty four fifty, and as a little kid, I was thinking, boy, twenty four fifty—that's a lot of money. But I remember getting a summer job, and I wasn't getting paid very much. But I remember after a few days, I had enough that I could afford to buy an SD forty dash two. But unfortunately, yeah, I mean, there wasn't you know the the greatest amount of detail on there. But you know what? It was an engine. It was something. It was a, repli a replica of the stuff that I could still see out there on the real railroad. 
But uh, if only we could go back to the days where you could only spend twenty four fifty on a locomotive, that would be great. But we know now that everything has gone up, you know, probably at least two hundred percent, you know, from what that was. But uh, but you know, nonetheless, I I hope that you found my story interesting, and uh, I hope that it's given you some encouragement to know that. Uh, just because there's really cool stuff out there or somebody's got this humongous layout and they've got, you know, this 50 car train of uh, ethanol tank cars or uh, just all this kind of stuff. You know, it doesn't you don't have to be them. You don't have to keep up with the Joneses, as the old saying goes. You know, you do what you can do. And I think that I'm repeating some of the advice that Bandit has given over the time. You know, you do what you want to do. You do what makes you happy. And if buying this locomotive for, you know, 50 bucks or, you know, you have somebody that helps you out and um, says, okay, hey, let me, you know, take this locomotive and add a little something to it, you know, or, you know, whatever the case is, there is just so much you can do. And even if you just have a small switching layout or something like that, I mean, there are so many different ways that you can enjoy the hobby without having to, um, you know, think that, oh, well, I'm nobody unless I have this big layout and I have, you know, these hundreds and thousands of dollars to spend. So, no, it's all about, you know, what you want to do. And some of the things that I'm doing right now. Uh, are, you know, people are just looking at it like, oh my gosh, you know, how, how are you doing this? And no, these aren't things that happen overnight, but I've just persevered. I've stayed in the hobby. It's been that interesting to me for so many years. So it's taken me a while to get there, but you know, I, I'm certainly, uh, I, I'm certainly, you know, staying in the hobby and everything that every time I turn around, and I look at something, it can be a curse to be on a train and, I see a car and I write the car number down so I can go back to the internet later and look at, um, try to see if I can find a picture of that car or that a car in that class or that series, just to kind of see what it is. And, huh, that's an interesting car. I wonder if I could build a model of that. Uh, so I do that plenty of times too, but, uh, that's the thing is I love to build things. I love to see things being created, especially something that somebody else doesn't have. So, you know, the sky is the limit. So just don't think that you have to limit yourself out there because there's all sorts of things that you can come up with and all sorts of ways that you can enjoy this hobby. So I really hope that uh, this has been beneficial to you. And uh, I would certainly like to thank the Bandit for having me as a guest host. And I hope that uh, I can come back and do this again or certainly uh, be on the show again with the bandit to discuss things because I think that a lot of things that I say or do uh, I go and listen to one of his podcasts when they come out and like oh man that would have been a great subject for us to talk about because I'm thinking about this or I'm dealing with this right now so I really uh, appreciate your time to listen and everybody keep the shiny side up have a great day Thank you, Eric. Um, great information. Uh, great stories. Uh, you know, that's what this is about. You know, giving you, our listeners, something different. Um, not only for those of us that have been in the hobby a while, but also for you um, folks that are looking at coming into the hobby or just start getting started out. Um, it's good to hear it from other points of views. 
of other people in the hobby and how they got to where they are, um, how they have done things, the mistakes they made, that kind of thing. So thank you, Eric. Uh, great episode. Love the topics you talked about. Um, let's all show him a little bit of support and go on over to his YouTube page, which is War Bonds, um, W-A-R-B-O-N-D-S, and, and like and subscribe. Help him out over there. Um, just like you find listeners have been helping and supporting me. Let's let's help him and um, do the same. Um, great content he's got over on his uh, YouTube page. So, yeah, definitely check it out. So that's it for episode 25 next episode we will have i know for a fact we will have a product review because actually at while i'm recording this um i'm actually been working on getting it ready and all that so episode 26 coming out a week from today and you will have a product review on there and you know you know how the gig goes so um if you feel up to it, head on over to patreon.com forward slash model railroad talk. Join the model railroad revolution over there and by becoming a premium supporter. And what do you get? Well, you get um, some added benefits. You get uh, obviously private stuff on the Patreon page that um, unless you're a, a premium member, you don't get to see. Um, you get access to these episodes virtually instantly not quite you know after we get them recorded put together the first place these episodes go are up uh they get uploaded to patreon and you have access to them right there by being a premium supporter plus there is a private facebook group if you're on facebook you get in and there you get to have the discussion um you get to have discussions if you'd like yeah, you could see us do record our shows live not all most of them um there's just lots of great benefits that uh, are open there. Also, check out our, our webpage, www.modelrailroadtalk.com. We've got forums over there um, for anybody to use. We've got um, a, like groups, in a sense, on there, too. It's free. to uh, You do have to create an account. It's free to set up. No charge whatsoever. All this is uh, free to you. Um, we don't require a lot of information for you to sign up. So head on over there, or if you want to reach out to us, www.modelrailroadtalk.com, uh, we have a form there, and you can reach out to us straight directly, email at modelrailroadtalk at gmail.com, or you can call us 563-293-6530. That's 563-293-6530. It's, a, it's basically a voicemail, uh, text message only line so you don't have to worry about us grabbing the phone picking up saying hello unless you want us to call you back then then we will so thank you thank you thank you for listening in to our episode 25 our special episode uh tell us what you think did you like the idea of this uh reach out to us however you'd like so uh in the meantime be safe and keep your train on the tracks